0: This morning, we started a little two-part sermon mini-series entitled, The Tender-Hearted Messiah. We could have just as easily have labeled it, The Merciful Messiah. Jesus taught his disciples that they must have and possess and exhibit the same kind of mercy as he did. and. We see here in Luke chapter 10 a story that we commonly refer to as the parable or the story or the account of the Good Samaritan. Beginning in verse 30 of Luke 10, it says, Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed him mercy, or showed mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus put forth the same idea of mercy on on many occasions. And, And the question is, did they get it? Did the disciples get it? Well... Apparently, they did. From Peter, uh, from Paul to Peter to James, Jude, all of them would later write about this God of all grace and this merciful, tender hearted Messiah. For example, look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 as he talked about the mercy and the compassion and the tender hearted God that we serve. Paul put it in these terms in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1, a a much beloved section of scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Paul wrote about the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter would write how we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, whom he has called out of darkness, we who once were not the people of God but now have obtained that mercy. Even the two half-brothers of Jesus, even James and and Jude, who originally rejected the tender-hearted Messiah in his message, they also later on echoed by divine inspiration the same message. James saying in James 3 and verse 17, the wisdom that is from above, in other words, the wisdom that comes from God, the kind of wisdom God has for us, is first pure and peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And finally, Jude, I want you to see what Jude would write. Just before the book of Revelation, we see Jude's little, little letter, some 25 verses. But I want you to look especially, we're going to spend some time here tonight at what Jude wrote about the mercy the tender-hearted Messiah and how we as his disciples are to have it. Jude, beginning at verse 20, says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He talks here about the mercy of our Lord in verse 21. Did you know the book of Jude both begins and ends talking about the mercy of God? If you look in Jude, the first two verses, the second verse, he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I want to take a little time tonight to examine Jude 20 through 23. And and I want to look at it specifically as the English Standard Version translates it, because the English Standard Version in those four verses uses the word mercy three times. The New King James Version would use compassion in in one of those places. But the ESV reads in Jude 20-23 through as follows. Listen to this. Again, there's three different occurrences of the word mercy. And and I want to examine those phrases therein. In verse 21, he says, waiting for the mercy, that is, of the Lord. In verse 22, he says, have mercy, that is, on those who doubt, those who struggle, or those who are weak in their faith. And Finally, in verse 23, he says, show mercy. The implication is to lost souls, sinners headed for hell. And so as we consider those three, it ought to be pretty clear that all of those people who are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, while we're waiting for that mercy in the sense of of getting to our eternal reward, while we're waiting for that mercy, verse 21, we must have mercy on our doubting brethren and show mercy to the misled masses. While we're waiting for the mercy, we must show mercy and we must have mercy. In the other order, have and then show. The New King James Version in verse 22, as I said, uses the word compassion instead of mercy. The word that's used there, uh, or, or not the word that's used there, the word compassion means a sympathetic consciousness of another's distress together with the desire to alleviate it. That's compassion. Say it again a sympathetic consciousness of another's distress together with a desire to alleviate it. You see, that is, that is not just a recognition of their plight, but it is a helping mission with their plight. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus recognized our lost estate. He knew, just as we read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, he knew we were lost. He knew we were children of wrath, and so what did he do? He did something, but God, being rich in mercy, sent his son. That's what the merciful Messiah is all about. That's what mercy entails. James would put it this way in James 2, 14 through 17, when he says, what does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can can faith save him? if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warmed and filled but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit if you recognize a need and you can do something about it but you don't what's the point that's not love that's not mercy that's not what God did for us Jude indicates that we are to have this same faith driven in Christ like mercy and compassion on both struggling saints and lost sinners alike. Just as Jesus himself told us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 46 and 7 when he said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even tax collectors do that? But let's be honest that kind of mercy and compassion does not typically come naturally that kind of we live in a world where it's all about self-promotion and and you know the world revolves around us or you or me or them or whoever everybody sees the world's kind of revolving around themselves and 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 we take kind of this this pride in, you know, even commercials. You deserve a break today, you know, because you're just that good. And I'm thinking to myself, every time I heard one of those commercials that says, You deserve this. How do you know? I might be a rotten guy, I might not deserve exactly what you're selling me, you know. So this kind of compassion and mercy doesn't come naturally, it's something that, that needs to be developed. How do we develop it? I'll tell you how we develop it, the secret. The secret to developing a Christ-like mercy, the secret to being tender-hearted people following in the footsteps of the tender-hearted Messiah is seen right here in Jude, verses 20, 21, 22, and 23. Let's take a look. Verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves. It is a process. It, It takes effort. It takes work. We must build it. We must build ourselves up in this compassion and mercy-giving ability. Build it, he says. Build yourselves up. Well, okay, we're to build ourselves, but notice something else he says. He says, build yourself. Why do we spend so much time worrying about everybody else in church? Why do we do that? Maybe it makes us feel better when we compare ourselves to somebody else, but we're only to compare ourselves to Christ, because that keeps us humble, right? Build, it's an effort, build yourself. The focus is on yourself. Build yourself up in the faith and keep on praying. That's the secret. Build, work, yourself, you, instead of somebody else, up in the faith, the faith in the Bible, praying, praying. And you know, once again, that echoes exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, when he said, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. I'm sorry, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 21, not only are we to build ourselves up, but we are to keep ourselves. Again, keep. To attain something and maintain something is two different things. To to get something and to hang on to it is two different things. So we are to build ourselves up in the most holy faith with prayer. That's how we develop this. But then we are to keep it. We are to keep, again, we see the importance of ourselves. Second time we've seen the word yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It is each it is up to each one of us individually to first constantly check ourselves to make sure we are doing what we're supposed to doing that we are learning and living and loving and giving and growing and forgiving like the Christians we'd ought to be it is not up to us to point out somebody else till we get ourselves straightened out did not Jesus say something about a beam and a speck somewhere back yeah you know Paul confirmed the same thing in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Just listen to the verse. He uses the word yourselves three different times. This is what he says. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? The test that we must pass as to whether or not Christ is in us is whether or not his attributes can be seen coming out of us constantly. That's what gives us the assurance of eternal life, a text I've mentioned several times. First John chapter four and verse 17. Continuing with the secret of how to develop this, then notice what he says next here in verse 21 of Jude. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, one of the greatest ways to develop our mercy and our compassion and become Followers of Christ in in doing what he did as tender-hearted people following the tender-hearted Messiah One of the best ways to do that brethren is to always keep in our focus That eternal life that's ours every day As followers of Christ As, as those who are faithfully following in his footsteps We need to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life every day I need to remember and to think about and to focus upon the sweet pardon and forgiveness and mercy that will be mine when I leave this life go to that one and hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant because brethren if we can do that if that's always at the forefront of our mind it will make us a much more merciful people it will make us a much more tender-hearted people because as we understand what Christ has done for us and as we focus on what Christ has done for us it makes it a lot easier for us to develop the characteristic of giving that mercy that we've received to others. It's when we lose sight of the mercy God has had on us, it's when we don't make that our focus, that it becomes so much harder for us to show it to others. That's why Jude writes, this is the way you do it. There's a four verse process here that will make us the tender hearted people God wants us to be. As we await that day, When we will finally grasp that which Jesus died to give us, we should never expect to receive that fulfillment of mercy unless we are busy passing it along to others while we're waiting. Jesus said in Matthew Uh, Matthew, 5 and verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Something that James echoed in James 2.13 when he said, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we are to extend it to both lost sinners and our brethren as well, struggling saints. The King James Version translates verse 22 like this. It says, This is the old King James, verse 22. On some, no, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Making a difference. I love the way that's worded. Making a difference. That, somebody who's making a difference, somebody that is learning to truly be tender-hearted like Jesus through their building themselves up in the most holy faith and and their praying and and all of these things as they follow Jesus and they're keeping the mercy of our Lord that leads to eternal life forever in the forefront of their focus. Okay, Those people will make a difference. That is a life lived in the glow and reflection of the tender-hearted, merciful Messiah. In verse 23, in the New King James Version, it says, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Pulling them, yanking them, grabbing on and giving them a big tug. I'm reminded of a recent incident. We were over to Katie and JR's, and we were down by the creek and we were fishing, and the girls decided they were while we were fishing there, JR. and I with Hannah, they decided that they were just going to go do a little looking around. And so there's some kind of coming up out of the, the creek there. There's, there's some banks. And so Karen and Katie decided they were just going to climb up over the top of one of the banks there and go for a little walk. And Karen starts kind of going up. She's watching where she's placing her hands and stuff. And Katie's right behind her, sort of beside of her behind her. All of a sudden, Katie grabs onto her mother and says no or says something and yanks her mother back. Karen was focused on what was right in front of her, only a few feet up ahead of her, there was a snake looking right at her. Katie had seen it, Karen didn't, good sized snake. But she snatched her, grabbed her, pulling her away from danger, and when I think of that, that's a picture I get that that Jude is, is painting for us, okay? Pulling them out of the fire. This morning we looked in Matthew chapter eight, just one chapter about several examples how tender-hearted Jesus truly was of how this permeates the entire gospel account of Jesus and and I want to take just a couple of minutes tonight a few minutes and I want to look at the next chapter of Matthew and, and I want us to see again just how this permeated the life of Christ this tender-heartedness turn with me back to Matthew chapter 9 and remember when this day is over we only covered two chapters in Matthew there's a lot more chapters than these two But I want you to look at just how this tenderheartedness of Jesus when it came to people, when it came to people who had nothing to give, when it came to people who who had problems, when it came to people who maybe didn't understand, how his compassion is just its everywhere. Everywhere you see Jesus, you see tenderheartedness when it comes to people. Matthew chapter 9, for example, if you're there with me, let's look at some of these real quick. Verse 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Scribes and Pharisees blew a gasket, of course. They had a fit. Jesus took care of that too, but he took care of it mercifully. We move on to Matthew chapter nine and verse nine. As Jesus passed on from there, saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And uh, look at the the compassion, look at the mercy, look at the the tenderheartedness. uh, These weren't all people that did things right. These weren't all people that had a good reputation. They were tax, co- how do we think of IRS agents today, right? No IRS agents in the house, right? I mean, We don't exactly, well, I'll tell you what. These Jews looked at tax collectors a whole lot worse. Tax collectors were traitors. These were Jews that worked for the Roman government taking money from their own people. But Jesus was tender-hearted even to them When he heard that, he said to them, verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. Jesus said, you go and understand what I'm talking about. I desire mercy. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Even in his answer to those who are questioning, you know, they're, question- they're giving him a bad rap, okay? They're giving him a bad reputation. Why does he eat with these people? What is wrong with him to stay with that group? Are you kidding me? Jesus said, I mean, Jesus could have nuked him right there, right? But he doesn't. what does he say? He used it as a teaching moment, like with a centurion we talked about this morning. He said. You need to go and learn and understand, even to those who were damaging his reputation. Jesus was tender-hearted. We move on to Matthew 9, verses 18 through 22. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she'll live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment, for she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I'll be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well. That hour, Jesus could have had a lot of different reactions, or we as humans could. Jesus is on his way to do a good work. Somebody interferes with him. Jesus is on his way to do one thing, and and this person is, is pulling on him from over here. And Jesus could have said a lot of things to her. what did he say be of good cheer tender he was tender with that woman your faith has made you well i want you to just let this resonate through your head i'm not going to read the rest of it from this point on in just this one chapter alone jesus goes on to raise the dead and to heal the blind the demon-possessed and the afflicted, all in this one chapter, a chapter that ends with the tender hearted Messiah doing what he does best. Now is extending mercy and compassion to those who needed it. No matter who they were. Look in verses 35 through 37 as the chapter closes. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, every It Didn't matter if they agreed with him or they didn't, it didn't matter if they understood him or not, we had this discussion this morning, healed them all. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Listen, these weren't all the cream of the crop, greatest folks on the face of the planet. He didn't have compassion on them because they were such great folks, he had compassion on them because they had such great need. Something I want us to get. Christ like mercy and compassion is the clothing of Christ like Christians. Christ like mercy and compassion is the clothing of Christ like Christians. Sinners clothe themselves with Christ when they come to Christ and they put Him on in baptism by faith and become sons of God Galatians 3:26 and 7 sinners clothe themselves with Christ at baptism but but we don't just typically put on one garment we typically put on several different garments And as Christians, sinners clothe themselves with Christ when they put him on in baptism. But then as Christians, we are to put on more layers. We are to put on more things. We are told that thereafter, we are to further clothe ourselves by putting on tender mercies. I didn't give you the reference because I want you to listen. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, and above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. We are to put on, scripture says, Christian, put these on. Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 15. So many times in scripture we see this, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if any man, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You ever been to a doctor who was rough? You ever been to a doctor that just had no bedside manner? And didn't seem to care if you were in all that much pain. I'm I'm seeing heads shaking. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. The term restore in Galatians 6, 1, where it says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Restore is a medical term in the original Greek with reference to setting a broken bone, something a physician should do with compassion. Agreed? You're going to set a broken bone, you want somebody who's going to be as gentle as possible, right? Restore. That's what the word means, it's a medical term, okay? And and he doesn't just say, you who are spiritual restore such a one, but says do it with a spirit of gentleness, that that tenderhearted messiah, again. One preacher was once quoted as saying, I have never had to apologize for my position, but I have oftentimes had to apologize for my disposition. Mercy and tenderness are necessities when seeking to reset or to heal a broken or dislocated, out of joint body member, Hebrews 12, 12 through 14. And and again, I'm not talking about compromising the truth. I'm not talking about not being narrow-minded. I'm not talking about that at all. The the thing that we've got to understand, whether it's Matthew 8, Matthew 9, tenderhearted Messiah, here, there, everywhere, anywhere, the thing we've got to understand is Jesus never backed up, backed down, or backed away from Scripture, never. He didn't do it. He was the narrow-minded Messiah through and through and through. But neither did he needlessly or unnecessarily use harshness or force when it came to handling those people truly trying to follow God, even despite their weaknesses and their mess-ups. I want to read for you an old article that really illustrates this truth, that really just kind of nails what I just said. It's talking about people, in in this case dads, which I is one, right? As a father, I had failures. I had things I tried to do right, and I, I didn't do everything right. I'm human. I my cape and tights have been stored away for years, OK? I don't have an S on my chest. It, it doesn't work that way. Moms, dads, people, brothers, sisters, humans, we try to do the best with him, but sometimes we mess up. This dad in this story messed up. I want to read you the story. I was a young father. I wanted some tropical fish for my kids. I really wanted them for me. I knew how to be prepared. Have the tank ready before you buy the fish. I bought a used tank for five bucks. It had a leak. I fixed it. Then I scrubbed it up really good with hot sudsy water and some strong cleaners to get the stains off the glass and the slate bottom. Things were perfect. We filled the tank with fresh water, Installed a heater, which brought the water up to just the right temperature. Everything was great. We bought some fish, cheap ones. Slipped them gently into the water. Within a couple of days, they were all belly up and floating on top of the sparkling clear water. Stupid fish. I'm I'm just reading. That's what he said. Stupid fish with an exclamation point. The kids cried. I almost did. I was a failure. (coughs) I asked a friend who had a jillion, that's what it says, healthy fish, what I had done wrong. He grilled me. I felt like a killer. His diagnosis, I was a killer. The cleansers killed them. In my attempt to clean things up, I had destroyed the ones I was trying to preserve and nourish. I learned a lot that week. The biggest lesson I learned was that in life, while we are trying to fix things and purge out impurities, we may, through our thoroughly well-meaning but still overexcited convictions, destroy the ones we proposed to salvage and rescue. While you are priding yourself in cleaning out the tank, It can kill the fish. Jesus wouldn't like that, neither would the Apostle Paul, because he said in 2 Timothy 2.24, be gentle to all men. Remember, fish are cheap, souls are not. Please be careful. That was written by Brother Tom Butterfield. And I think the point that he's trying to make I think he makes it very well, is that we need to approach all souls as if they had a fragile sign on them. Brethren, lost people, doesn't matter. Fragile, handled with care. You know, Paul said that he treated his brethren as gently and as tenderly as a nursing mother treats and cherishes her own children. Think about especially a first-time mom. Think about how gent- gentle, gently and tenderly, I know I can say that, how gently and tenderly she is with that baby. And Paul says to those brethren who were trying to get it right that he was writing to in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7, he said, we treated you as tenderly as a nursing mother treats and cherishes, I love that word, cherishes, her own children. However, That does not mean that he ever compromised the message even for a second in so doing, as he tells us in the four verses that come before 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, as he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 2, 2 through 6. This this balance between being totally narrow-minded, totally locked in when it comes to doctrine, totally going to just go by the word no matter what, and at the same time, while we're narrow minded on doctrine, being totally tender hearted on people, on, on, on souls, on, on broken people. I don't know if there's a better chapter that Paul ever wrote on the essentiality of being both narrow minded, absolutely narrow minded when it came to doctrine, and absolutely tender hearted when it came to people. I want to show you that chapter. He puts them both in there. Paul, Paul, the, uh, Paul, by divine inspiration, locks them both up. These two things that seem like separate worlds, he blends perfectly. And he tells us both are essential. And it's a a text. It's a chapter we all know. It isn't like the book of third Hezekiah. This is a chapter that we know. Turn to me to Ephesians 4. Look at this balance. Look at the essentiality of both. Ephesians chapter 4 begins and ends, bookends, with these two things we're talking about. Absolute narrow-mindedness, absolute tender-heartedness. Verse 4, we're very familiar, most of us can probably quote it, Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through y'all and in y'all. I say it like that. Making Paul look like a southerner, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all. That's as narrow-minded as it gets. We know the church is the body. He said, there's one church. Well, what about all these other churches? Paul said, no, there's one church. What about all these other baptisms? And if I was baptized as a baby, and I was baptized as an outward sign of an inner, no, Paul says one baptism. That's as narrow-minded as it gets. If you really want to upset somebody who's religious, go to Ephesians 4, 4 through 7, explain to him what it means, and watch them go through the roof. That's as narrow-minded as it gets. That's how the chapter starts. But... but While he's that narrow-minded on doctrine, and we always need to be, look how beautiful and how tender-hearted he is when it comes to people at the end of this chapter, same chapter. Matter of fact, he mentions that we are to be, guess what, tender-hearted. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, And be kind to one another. There's our word for the day. Tender-hearted. Just like the tender-hearted Messiah. Parts 1 and 2 that I've preached today. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Paul. Why would you put in there that we need to forgive each other? Because nobody's perfect. And your brethren are just as... Despite their best intentions, sometimes just as messed up as you are, is what I can see Paul saying to Doug Dingley. If there's a one of us sitting here that's perfect, that's never sinned, we can cast the first stone and walk out, we don't need to be here. But this perfect balance, he said, you be tenderhearted. Our final passage of the night is another place where he shows the same balance that was the reason for the narrow-minded series and this one together is, is they both fit and i want to show us this one other passage then we'll close second timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 24 would you turn there with me please if you're a servant of the lord raise your hand Not uh, just talking to preachers or elders. Second Timothy two and verse twenty four. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility. Stop right there. We'll finish in a minute. In humility, just hold your finger there. That's what I'm doing. That's why the hand's there. Right now he's talking about tender-hearted with people. But notice that does not mean that he's compromising, narrow-minded on doctrine. Look what he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Here's another beautiful example of the balance. There it is. In other words, We don't have to be mean to be sound. We don't have to be rough to be right. Jesus Christ was totally narrow-minded and completely tender-hearted, and we are to be the most narrow-minded and tender-hearted people on the planet. Such compassion and narrow-mindedness proves that Christ is in us as it flows from us. And the reason it flows from us is because of what he's done for us. And remembering that is what empowered the Apostle Paul. Remember what Paul said? He said, I'm the worst of sinners. And understanding that and what God has given to us through his tender mercies as well as his one faith doctrine, remembering that is what will help us to pass it to others. So the invitation tonight, how narrow-minded are you? Are you as strong in the word as you want to be? How tender-hearted are you? Are you as compassionate as you would like to be? I'm neither. I want to be more narrow-minded. And I want to be more tender-hearted. And I will tell you right now, I'm not going to come down front after the lesson's over, because I'm already going to be here, but I'll tell you. I could use your prayers on both of those. have you got the blend right between the two the balance where christ wants it to be if not we will pray for everybody that needs that tonight or maybe you're somebody who's never begun your walk with christ you haven't got a balance between the two because you haven't started your journey as a child of god you can become a child of god tonight and clothe yourself with christ galatians 3 26 and 7 just like we talked about we'll baptize you into christ for the forgiveness of your sins you've never done that but then remember you continue to clothe yourself with the qualities or to put on the qualities of Colossians 3 12 and 15 for the rest of your life if you have a need tonight please come to the front as we stand and sing